0: Um, I'm gonna start my message with, uh, this is a true story, okay? So I'm not pulling your leg here. Um, I don't know if you guys heard about this, um, this story, but there's a 20-year-old uh, from Grand Junction, his name is Dylan McWilliams, and he did something that will likely never happen again. A few years ago, um, Dylan was backpacking in Canada and the United States, and he was actually camping here in Colorado, and he woke up in the middle of the night to hear a crunch and there was a bear that had grabbed him by the head and was pulling him out of his sleeping bag. And uh, so Dylan, he's, uh, he pokes the bear in the eyes and hits it, and actually the bear dropped him and, and ran away. And uh, 17, let's see, is it 17? Yeah, 17, no, nine staples later, uh, they soaped the wounds in his head. He went to the hospital. Um, he was good to go, okay? Then um, about a year or so later, this same young man, was hiking in Utah, and he stumbles upon a rattlesnake. That's a true story. A rattlesnake bites him. And um, this time, he didn't even go to the hospital. He, like, it wasn't, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't a ton of poison. He was, he was sick for a couple days. He said he threw up, but he was back to normal in a couple days. He didn't even go to the hospital. Got bit by a rattlesnake. And then April of this year, this is a true story. How many heard about this story on the news and stuff? April of this year... He's, he's uh, bodyboarding in Kauai, Hawaii, and how many guess what happened to him? He literally got bit by a shark. This man got bit by a shark, and ended up getting seven stitches. Um, he you know, kicked at the shark, managed to get himself away from the shark, and seven stitches later, um, he's back to normal. All this happened to this young man in a four-year span by the, by the age of 20. He had been bitten by a bear a shark, and a, a rattlesnake and so uh wow first of all like what an unlucky dude right and we have a we have a picture of this guy okay and I did, I, I picked less gruesome pictures the ones of his head there were worse ones than that but there's his head he you know he got the staples he got the stitches in his leg that's that young man right there he lives in Colorado so let's give a hand for him <laughs> I needed that to open my water he's yeah, apparently, Mother Nature thinks he's tasty, but he this is an unlucky guy. Okay, how unlucky is this guy? Here are the odds of each of those events happening here are the there's actually statistics and odds on this. being injured by a bear. Being in, just injured by a bear in the lower 48 states, one in 2.1 million chance of you being injured by a bear, okay? Um, much less chances to be killed. From from the year, I'll just have you guys guess on this, from the year 1900 to the year 2009, so 109 years, how many people do you think were actually killed by a bear in the lower 48 states? Five, 10, 20, I heard 20, 20. Can I get a 20, 20, 21, <laughs> No, actually, the, the number is 14, 14 people in 109 years were killed by a bear. It's like very rare to be killed by a bear. Bear attacks are extremely rare. One in 2.1 million. Okay, what are the odds of being bit by a venomous snake in the United States? One in 37,500. So a little bit better, well much better odds there of getting bit or worse depending on how you look at it. But still, (laughs) snake bites, venomous snake bites are a pretty rare thing. Uh, How about being bit by a shark in US waters? One in 11.5 million is the odds of being bit by a shark. It's a very rare thing that happens. So then, what are the odds of all three of these happening to one person, okay? (laughs) So since each is an independent event, the odds are multiplied together, making the odds of all three happening to one person, here it is, one chance and 893 quadrillion. Quadrillion, 893 quadrillion is the odds of one person getting bit by all three of those animals in their lifetime. And this happened to this young man by the time he was 20. It's a crazy story. You guys hear about this story? It was insane. And so Mick Williams, he says he he chalks all this up to being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And um, he encourages everyone to experience the outdoors. He says he still goes hiking. He still catches rattlesnakes. So maybe that increased the odds a little bit. I saw a rattlesnake one time when I was, when I was hiking um, on the Coyote Ridge, and it was a little snake all coiled up, and I was like, is that a rattle? No, it's not a rattle. I argued with the guy with me. No, it's not a rattle. Yes, it is. So we kind of threw a pebble pebble it and it unwinded, and, and went away. And sure enough, when this tail came around, it was like, yep, that's a rattlesnake. So I did not try to catch it, <laughs> you know. But... Um, he says this, he, he still catches rattlesnakes, he still swims in the ocean, he actually said the next day, he got his stitches, the next day he was out bodyboarding in the same place that he got bit by a shark. <laughs> so that's, he's a crazy guy. Uh, my friend Bryson, who was just up here, he was in, recently in Florida, he was sitting at a pool, where you at Bryson, you in here, yeah, <laughs> he was at a pool and he posted something like, this is as close as I get to the ocean, I will, you know, he doesn't go in oceans, he doesn't go in like open bodies of water, and I posted on his, in his, on his post, and I was like, Bryson, you're like two, three times state champion wrestler. Three time, two time state champion wrestler, Marine, served in, served in Iraq, like, like man's man here, right? He's a structural welder, you know? Man's man, the guy will not go in the ocean. So <laughs> just give him a hard time about that. But anyway, the odds are pretty low of being injured by, by one of these animals. So when I go hiking and I do something adventurous, Sometimes people are like, hey, you're, what are you doing? Oh, be really careful. Are you, carrying bear, are you carrying bear spray? And I'm like, no, I'm not carrying bear spray. You know it's, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty low chances that anything will happen. Colorado, we don't even have grizzlies in Colorado. Most black bears are pretty skittish. Um, but, um, you know, you're, honestly, you're more likely to, like, something bad to happen on the drive to, like, go hiking. Or you're more likely to run out of water or to get hypothermic or um, twist an ankle. I remember I hiked Long's Peak. And I was coming down. I was four and a half miles from the trailhead one time. I was trying to catch up with some people. I started running and totally rolled my ankle. It was terrible. I had to hike four and a half miles like, like this at high elevation on big steps. It was terrible. That is more likely to happen to you than all of those um, than getting bit by an animal. And, but people mean well, and we should take precautions, obviously. We do take precautions. Um, but... This got me thinking about something. What is what is the most dangerous thing that people can do? Like, what is the most dangerous activity? Now, I'm going to do a little bit of a twist here. But if you look at like the what causes the most deaths in the United States and in the world? Actually, the the cause of most uh, deaths in the United States is heart disease, and so. Um, now, someone's like, "Now, Pastor Kurt, that's not an activity. Heart disease is not an activity. That's like a condition. Well, check this out. According to the, um, the Center of Disease Control, 80% of deaths caused by heart disease can be attributed to preventable factors like obesity, poor physical activity, eating unhealthy foods, and stress, okay? In other words, the most dangerous, thing, the most dangerous activity isn't an activity, it's actually an inactivity, okay? Like, the mo- you're doing the most dangerous thing you could be doing right now, just sitting there. <laughs> Like your odds of dying are, are the highest by sitting down right now and having inactivity. Luckily we have a splash party afterwards. Yeah, yeah, if you're stressed out, you're eating McDonald's and you're sitting, like you're, you're, you're running some high odds there. So nothing, that means that nothing is more dangerous than something, okay? So when you're doing nothing, be careful, be careful because nothing is killing us more than something is. Now I'm, I'm being silly of course, but sometimes people will be like, Hey, you're going you're going hiking, you're doing something, be careful. And I'd be like, What are you up to? I'm gonna stay home watch a movie. I'm like, You better be careful. <laughs> what you're doing is leading to the, the leading cause of cause of death, heart disease. So I think you better be careful. I've never said anyone, but I've I've wanted to say that. You better you better not sit there too long. You better get up get up and move a little bit. <clears throat> well, I know I'm being a little silly, but um, it got me thinking, so the most dangerous activity or inactivity is what takes most humans out in the world, which is heart disease, but what is, the most, what is the most dangerous activity, if you will, to the Christian, right? Is it sin? Well, I just want to say, I think just like in the natural, there is a parallel in the spiritual, and I think in the Western world, the most dangerous activity for us is actually not a thing, it's an inactivity, it's nothing, and this is why, because apathy... In the West, apathy and complacency are killing us spiritually. I think more than anything is killing us. Okay, so the title of my message today is called Dangerous. Touch your neighbor and say Dangerous. All right. All right, Dangerous. So turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 14. All right, the book of Revelation... um, the risen Lord Jesus sent a message through the apostle John to the seven churches of Asia that were churches there in that time. The last church he addressed is the Laodicean church. It's also known as the the complacent or the apathetic, the comfortable church, okay? This is the Laodicean church, and we can learn some stuff from them. I'm going to read a portion of scripture here, verse 14 through 22. He says this, "To the angel of the church of Laodicea, write: These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation." Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you're one or the other, because, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am, about to, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich and have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me. So this is Jesus speaking. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and he with me. That's a great promise right there. If you open your your heart to Jesus, he'll come in. Verse 21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To the churches. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit and let's look at some context of what the apathetic and the complacent church in that day looked like. Okay, usually when you hear this preached, you'll hear preachers say like, God wants us to be on fire for him. And yes, God wants you to be on fire for him. But then they'll say something like, you know, he either wants you hot or cold. He doesn't want you lukewarm. So if you're, if you're cold he's gonna, or lukewarm, he's going to spit you out of your mouth. And the, so sometimes people say, like, he either wants you to be a rabid worshiper of God or, like, a Satan worshiper. There's no middle ground, you know. He either wants you, like, dealing drugs and murdering people or, like, a rabid worshiper of God. Now, I personally, I think that's going a little far, okay? And <laughs> so whatever the opposite of rabid worshiper is, he wants you, one or the other. He doesn't want you anywhere in the middle. Actually, I want to show you in this context that the cold here, he says, I want you hot or cold. Cold here is actually a good thing. Cold is just as good as hot in the right context, okay? Also, when pastors preach this, they usually, they refer to, like, our love. Like, is your love, are you passionate, are you hot for the Lord? And um, that's the question, that's the question that they ask. But the passage doesn't necessarily, it isn't necessarily talking about love, okay? Let's read this, Revelation 3.15. He says, I know your deeds, everyone say deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. Okay, I looked up the the Greek word here. It doesn't mean love at all. It means deeds. Like it means your actions. It means the thing you're doing, the thing you're working at, okay? There's four words in the Greek for love. This isn't isn't any of them, okay? So he's talking about your actions. He's not necessarily talking about your level of love towards him. Um, Right there should get us thinking a little bit different about this verse. But let me contrast that. He also addresses the church of Ephesus just before this in Revelation 2. And he said to that church, you have fallen out of love with me. He said, he said um, you've left your first love. You've lost your first love. You've fallen out of love with me to the church of Ephesus. But then he commends the church of Ephesus for having perseverance, for having hard works, for doing like good deeds. Right. So this is totally different. To the Laodiceans, he says, your works are lacking, but not necessarily. He doesn't necessarily say your love. Now, obviously... Our, our, our actions flow from our hearts. So, of course, if you have a love and devotion for God, there's going to be actions that flow out of your heart. So I'm not just totally writing that off. But, um, but you get my point. What about this hot and cold business? Revelation 3, 15 through 16 says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Okay, so what's the context here? What is he talking about? Why would you put anything cold or hot or whatever in your mouth? He's talking about taking a drink, right? This is the context, I'm gonna take a drink right now. It's lukewarm, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) This is why I think in context, cold is just as good as hot because how many know we're about to go outside and I I don't think I'm gonna see much of you drinking hot tea while we're out there, right? It's a hot day. And what we're gonna, we have a snow cone machine out there, by the way. That's going to be fun. We're gonna, it's going to be hot outside. You're going to want something cold to drink. And the context here is drinking, right? On a hot day, you want something cold. On a cold day, you want something hot, okay? So um, I love hot coffee in the winter. I love to drink iced coffee in the summer. I like to get iced coffee, do yard work. Does anyone like to get iced coffee, do yard work? Iced tea, you go outside? Come on, that's good stuff. My grandfather, My grandfather served... Um, in the Korean War, and he said they never got coffee, but one day a year on Christmas Day, he said it was bitter cold, the Korean War, in the winter. And he said, one day a year, they got to drink all the coffee they wanted. He says, I drank coffee all day. It was Christmas. They drank coffee all day on Christmas. It was hot coffee. He got to drink it all day. But listen, this type of metaphor that Jesus is using for this church would have made perfect sense to the Laodicean church, because Laodicea, they were rich, but they also had... It had a water problem, okay? Let me, let me just read like a little historical context here. Um, ideally, prosperous cities are built close to abundant natural resources, especially water. Great cities are usually founded on deep natural harbors or on the banks of deep rivers where water is abundant. Unfortunately, Laodicea was not established near an adequate water supply. More driven by trade, its, its builders located it where the roads crossed. Their one weakness was their water supply. Water had to be piped into Laodicea. Um, cold water from the abundant supply at Colossi um, came from cold water um, supply at Colossi, but by the time it traveled the 10 or so miles from the cold springs, it became lukewarm. About six miles away in Heropolis uh, were hot springs, but that water too was lukewarm by the time it reached Laodicea. And, it was, and by the time it became lukewarm, it was both nauseating to smell and to drink. So whether they piped in the cold water or the hot water when it arrived at Laodicea, it was lukewarm water, okay? Um, So go ahead and put up that first picture. So this is Laodicea. Uh, You can remember, Heropolis hot, Colossi cold, okay? So that's, they got their cold water supply from Colossi, they got their hot water supply um, for Heropolis. And they piped it in, by the time it got, traveled that distance, the water was always lukewarm. They understood exactly, they understood exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said this. Go ahead and um, put up the next picture. This is a glossy cold, cold water coming, um, cold water spring. Go ahead to the next one. Um, these are uh, ancient pipes that they used to use um, to bring in that water supply. Go to the next one. Um, again, these are ancient clay pipes that they built. And then the last one, this is modern day uh, Hierapolis where they have uh, hot springs. So and you can see the ancient pillars there falling down, but people are still hanging out in the water, okay? So context, is this making more sense to you guys now? And are you learning anything? Okay, so they knew exactly what the risen Lord Jesus was trying to say to them when he said, your, your deeds are lacking, it's like lukewarm. Like, oh, it's like our water. It'd be kind of like if Jesus had this message for the, the church of Greeley. I know your deeds and they're need, you know they're not good. You think it smells like a bed of roses, but it smells like stinky cows, you know? That's how he would like... If he had a message through a prophet for the whole church of Greeley, he would, he'd probably say something about cows or agriculture or something, right? Okay, same thing with, this, with Laodicea. He knew, he knew exactly what to say to them and how to say this. Jesus was saying to them, I've seen your works, your deeds. They are not hot or therapeutic to me on a cold day. They are not refreshing or cold to me on a, on a hot day. Their deeds had become lukewarm. My guess is that what this looked like is that that church was called to that city to meet spiritual and tangible needs, right? I think any church in any city is there, I mean, churches have specific and unique anointings and callings. Not every church is created the same, but every church has a calling to meet spiritual or physical or some kind of need for that city, right? And my guess is whatever their calling was, they were falling short and not meeting spiritual or or tangible needs. It became more of a Maybe more of a bless me club, more of consumer Christianity, right? They show up, let's have a bless me club. They're consuming, but they're not actually doing what God has called the body of Christ to do. So what was the problem? How did they get this way? How did they become ineffective and apathetic? We know the symptom, but Jesus goes on to say what the culprit was. Revelation uh, 3, 17. He says this, You say, I am rich and have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They became reliant on their worldly wealth, and they became self-sufficient, okay? And this is what I, th- and that, by the way, that's like something that's easy for Americans to fall into. It's easy for us to become reliant and self-sufficient on what we have, because America's a very blessed country, amen? And we get to celebrate America on, on Wednesday, and I'm excited to blow things up and uh, grill some meat, you know? I'm I'm an American, I like all that stuff. But it's easy for us to become self-sufficient and self-reliant. People like in third world countries, if you've never been to third world country, go to third world country and see what it's like there. They know what it's like to rely on God. They know what it's like to be totally dependent on God. But this is what I think happened to the Laodiceans. I think they looked around and thought, I have everything I need. Well, I'm good. And they kind of assumed everyone else in their world, everyone else in their sphere is probably good too. Oh, their spiritual needs are good. Their physical needs are good. Their emotional needs are met. Their physical needs are met, right? They probably looked around and thought, I'm good, so everyone else is good. So their deeds became lacking. Um, when you live in a place where your needs are always met, it's easy to assume everyone else is okay too. And <clears throat> so they fell into the trap of apathy. They fell into the trap of complacency. So what's the remedy? Jesus gives us three things. Jesus preaches the Jesus preached a three-point sermon here. I like it when Jesus does things in threes because it fits nicely in the sermons, you know. I like it when the Bible does things in threes because it's like, oh, there's one, two, three points. Great. And by the way, when you do three points, it's more sticky in people's brains. People remember three points more than anything. So this is what Jesus says. He gives them the remedy. He says, Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Okay, so three things. He says, buy, buy gold for me. They were self-sufficient, right? Buy clothes for me, they were self-righteous. Buy eye for me because they were wise in their own eyes. It's possible to become self-sufficient and forget that God is your provider, especially when you have a lot, especially when you're an American, especially when you're in a first world country. Self-righteousness, I think we could all fall into that trap, self-righteousness from time to time, because this is what you start doing. Um, You know, when you come to Jesus, you realize, like, I'm a mess, and God saved me by his grace. But sometimes along the way, we think, like, I'm doing all right. You know, I'm good. Ever been there? And then you start comparing yourself to yourself and to other people, and then realize, like, you're totally, like, it's a trap because there's pride involved in there. It's a trap to actually have a big stumble. And so maybe they got a little cocky and started comparing they were wise in their own eyes, uh, wise in their own eyes. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but God's way supersedes it all. And by the way, do you wanna know a really good way to know if you're wise in your own eyes? I'll give you one thing. Here's how you know if you're being wise in your own eyes. Are you harboring unforgiveness in your heart? Because when you harbor unforgiveness in your heart, you're actually saying, I'm I'm the judge. I'm wise in my own eyes. I judge me, I judge you, and I've, I've counted you to be lacking. I'm holding this offense over you when God says to let it go, when God says to forgive. That's a good way to know if you're wise in your own eyes, if you're, if you're harboring unforgiveness. I made myself judge, I condemn you, right? Jesus says, though, buy, buy from me. But he, then he just said, they're poor. How do spiritually poor people, how do spiritually poor people buy from Jesus? Check this out. He gives us the way out, which is amazing. Jesus always gives us the way out, right? He doesn't rebuke to rebuke. He rebukes to strengthen and encourage and build up, right? Isaiah 55.1, he says, uh, says this. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Basically, he's just saying, if you realize your insufficiency, if you realize your emptiness, and you make room in your heart, and you come to God, he will actually give you all those things, those things that you need. And so here's the application. There's still a cost, but it's the cost of giving up self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, and self-wisdom that he was telling this church so that you can make room in your heart for Jesus. Everyone say make room. Sometimes you just got to make room in your heart. Sometimes you just got to make room in your life. It's easy for us to live in such a blessed country to not have room in our hearts. We have so many other things, right? Again, this isn't such a struggle for people who have so little because all they have is God. They don't have anything else to rely on. There's a lot of room in their hearts. There's a lot of margin there for God to fill up. There's a lot for, for, um, for people to be relying on God for, right? Okay, so, um, all right, Jesus offers us true riches that never fade, robes of righteousness that he purchased for us. Come on. And number three, his wisdom that goes beyond man's understanding. But you have to make room in your heart. If, you're, if you feel complacent, if you feel apathetic, it's also summertime, which is also like a double down for, I think, apathy and complacency for the American church. It's like, it's nice out, you know, we're not really paying attention too much. But like, if you're feeling that complacency and apathy, my, my, my counsel to you this morning, my advice to you this morning, make room in your heart for Jesus. Like, make room, make space, get away from some of those activities, find margin in your life so he can fill it. Amen? Okay, so dangerous. How do we go from being in danger of apathy and complacency? How do we go away from that danger? I I believe for us in America that is like one of the number one killers of spirituality, one of the number one killers of effectiveness that we're supposed to have is apathy and complacency. How do we go from that danger to being dangerous, right? Right? How many want to be dangerous, right? I don't want to come to church and be good. Like, I didn't come here to be good. Like, I'm not good. (laughs) So I didn't come here to be good with you. Like, I came here to be dangerous, and I came here to lead people who are dangerous, and I came here to to lead people who are going to change the world. Amen? So how do we be dangerous? How do we we, um, ruin Satan's day? I want Satan to wake up in the morning like, I need Christian spray, right? (laughs) I need to get my Christian spray, because if I run across a Christian, he's going to ruin my day. And the odds of him getting, you know, thumped by a Christian, they should be high, right? Come on, guys. So, listen, I, I was, I'm friends with a, a missionary who's in Mexico, and he, he's working in a, like, a violent city. And a lot of times people ask him, they're like, you're in this violent city, and, like, how do, you, how do you do this? Shouldn't, you know, it's really not safe. Are you okay here? Like, should you be here? Those kind of questions. And this is what this guy tells people. It's safer. The safest place in the world for you is in the center of God's will for your life. He, knew, he knows that's, the, that's God's will for his life, is to be in that place. He's in the center of God's will, and that's the safest place he could possibly be. If you're called to be a missionary in another country and maybe it's not a safe place, that's the safest place for you to be. If you're called to be a business owner here in Greeley and support the kingdom of God, that's the safest place for you to be. But the most dangerous place is still the couch. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so get off the couch, okay. Okay. <laughs> The world needs a genuine expression of you. Diluted Christianity, listen, deluded Christianity is nauseating to the world. It's nauseating to the world, okay? Um, and consumer Christianity is nauseating to the world. But this is, this is what I think. When, when the world encounters a spirit-filled Christian, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. When the world encounters you, I think the experience should be re, um, surprisingly refreshing on a hot day, Right? It's like, a, it's like a club soda on a hot day with some lime in it, right? That's what the experience should be like to the world encountering a Christian. Or it should be therapeutic when they're, when they're cold and they're dark and they're, they're broken, right? That's the experience that people should have when they encounter a Christian in their life. You are the antidote, okay? So be a hot therapeutic drink on a cold day. Be a cold refreshing drink on a hot day. Don't be nauseating drink that has a form of godliness but denies the power. We should have power in our lives. Come on. I just want to encourage each of you. You should have power in your life. Powerless Christianity, honestly, is inexcusable. He's given us everything. He's given us his spirit. He's given us the the word of God. Like, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness in this world. Powerless Christianity is inexcusable. And you guys should walk powerfully. I just want to commission you with that. All right. I'm going to close, and we're going to pray. Yeah, are we, doing, are we doing worship? Cool, come on up, guys. All right. So, Father, we thank you for, thank you, God, for every uh, person in this place, Lord God. And I certainly don't believe that there are a ton of people here who are totally steeped in apathy and complacency, but, Lord, And it's, it's even hard to believe here on a Sunday morning that people might drag throughout the week, but, God, we know that sometimes that happens, Lord. And I just pray, God, this morning, that, um, God, you would call us higher, Lord God. I pray that if, if you're here and you're struggling with self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, or, or, or being wise in your own eyes, I just, as we go into this worship song, I wanna, I wanna just, um, why don't you just lay that down, create margin in your heart, and ask God to fill you. And God, I just pray that you would cause us to make a mighty impact on this world, God. I pray that we would be a hot drink, Lord God, or a cold drink, Lord God, to those who need it in this world, Lord God. Make us make us um, effective in this world, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus, for, the, for this nation, Lord God, that there's 240 years of independence, Lord God, is coming up here on Wednesday, Lord God, but I thank you, God. That you didn't call us to just be devoid of God, Lord God. You've called us to be Christ-dependent. Even though we're independent, Lord God, you've called us to be Christ-dependent, Lord God. So, God, we just uh, invite you right now, Lord God, to be the Lord of our hearts as we open up the service with God. Be our our Lord. Be our God. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. amen.